Welcome to a Twin Peaks podcast, a podcast about Twin Peaks. I'm Jeff Jensen, TV critic for Entertainment Weekly, and my mind is still spinning about the last episode of Twin Peaks, uh, Got a Light. It was a fascinating, frustrating, provocative, sensational, challenging hour of television. It, it told the story about the evolution of supernatural evil in Twin Peaks. It doubled as like an allegory for America after World War II and the atomic age and our guilts and regrets over maybe what we've become. I don't know. I I had theories on Monday about the show when I wrote a 6,000 word recap and I recorded our podcast uh, with Darren Franich. And I think that since then, my mind has changed a number of times about the episode. I have so many new theories. Uh, is the woodsman the Antichrist? Does the woodsman represent Elvis and the birth of rock and roll? I, I'm i not going to bore you with any of that stuff this week. Uh, maybe we'll do a special podcast or maybe I'll write another 6,000 words about it. What we have for you today is something to hold you over until next week because we, we have this week gap. In, in between episodes of Twin Peaks. I don't know why. Maybe so that we can all enjoy the 4th of July like good, responsible Americans. Uh, maybe David Lynch knew that we kind of needed a breather after last week's episode. But regardless, no new Twin Peaks this week, but we have something special to kind of like hold you over. Earlier this week, Darren and I got on the phone with Robert Forster. He plays Frank Truman on Twin Peaks. And we had, this, we had a, a really lovely conversation with him about what it's like to work for David Lynch what it's like to be Frank Truman, his take on the character. He took us behind the scenes on a couple key moments with Frank. We had a great conversation with him, and we hope you enjoy it. I don't know if you've heard, but we are quite obsessed about your new TV show, uh, of course, Twin Peaks. Uh, and we're a big fan of Frank, so it's, it's great to be speaking with you. You bet. My family is, by the way, also obsessed with it, so... Uh... We got everybody on my side obsessed with this show, and uh, and I don't blame you. Are you watching it all together as a family? Well, my, I have a lot of family back in Rochester, so they call me and say, uh, "Hey, Bobby, we saw you." <laughs> you know, for them to see me on television is a big thing, and so they asked me about meaning and uh, and plot. And of course, I explained to them that uh, I am uh, prohibited from discussing such things, but but they have fun doing it anyway. And yes, I watch <laughs> every week. Well, I can only imagine that your family might have had tons of questions about Sunday's episode, which was just, uh, we've been obsessed with it. Darren and I were just talking about it. Our, our theories about it changed from moment to moment, hour to hour. What did, what did you think of last Sunday's episode? Well, again, and either I am not aware or I will not, cannot talk about what it might mean. Um, but um, I remember when I saw Mulholland Drive, it took me a while to figure out anything. And I got a little, couple of hints from people who had uh, seen and uh, analyzed the picture. And when they finally told me very simply that a girl who comes from the Midwest and wants to be a movie star and is disappointed, and uh, then she then she becomes a waitress. She falls in love with another girl. That's another disaster. She decides to kill herself, and from the moment she shoots herself till, till her head hits the pillow, her life unfolds to her the way it ought to have been. When somebody explained that to me, suddenly the whole thing made a lot more sense. Now, 
I'm sure that when people finish watching this, they will have a lot more understanding of the entire, of the whole. And so uh, hopefully all of us will, and I, will, uh, will have an appreciation for the whole. But uh, so far we can see that um, our lead character is uh, more than one person and, uh, or is trying, to be, uh, is trying to get back into the world or there's maybe more than one personality in all of us. Uh, hard to know exactly what David Lynch has in mind, but, uh, you know, he's a transcendental meditation guy and therefore um, conscious of, uh, of lots of things that um, most of us never even think about. I'm sure that his, uh, his delving deep into personality and uh, awarenesses are um, a part of what's going on. I, I say that I'm sure, but I'm not really sure. I'm only speculating <laughs> like a lot of the rest of it. Uh, Robert, uh, you mentioned uh, Mulholland Drive, a project that, of course, you know, you, you kind of were involved in at one point. I'd love to know, can you talk a bit about how you got involved with the new Twin Peaks? I mean, wh- what's that process like? You know, did you get a call? Was there an audition? What kind of went into you joining this new season of the show? Uh, not much. My agent called and said, uh, David Lynch is going to call you. Uh, and about two minutes later, the phone rang, and David said, Hey, how you doing? I said, Great, how you doing? He said, I'm do- redoing uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, would you like to be part of it this time? I said, Sure. Last time I was busy uh, uh, 25 years ago, so I wasn't able to get involved in the, in the, uh, in the, in the original, though it became a worldwide mm-hmm. phenomenon, and I watched it happen and uh, would love to have been part of it, but... Uh, but this time uh, he said, would you like? And I said, sure. And the next thing you know, I was uh, on the set. So 25 years ago, when David and Mark were doing the original Twin Peaks, they approached you about being on the show. Would you have played the original Harry Truman? You know what? I, I'm not sure what he had in mind at the time. Uh, possibly so. But um, uh, it was played by a fine actor, uh, Michael Ankeen, and uh, yeah. who I liked a lot. <laughs> And who, you know, who I, you, you never worry about things that you don't do. When I see somebody else do something, uh, I uh, rarely say, God, how would I have done that? No, you like looking at somebody else and, uh, and saying, nice job. And so uh, I remember thinking that, that the original Twin Peaks was perfectly cast. And so, whereas I didn't get involved in it the first time, I'm delighted to be involved in it this time. I'd love to know just your take on, on Frank Truman. I mean, like, how would you describe him? You know, a real straight shooter, grounded. Um, uh, David gives me good questions to ask, ask myself. I'd say that uh, I am in some way asking some of the questions that the audience must be asking themselves and um, in clarifying uh, and uh, uh, you know how in a good novel, every once in a while, uh, some things are restated so that the audience can remember and ask themselves questions and get caught up. I'm not certain that uh, my character isn't uh, a guy who asks questions so that the audience will uh, ask them of themselves and maybe uh, find answers. How much background about Frank did David and Mark give you beyond what was on page? I asked him that. Uh, he said that you won't need it. Uh, you're uh, just coming from another uh, area. You've been a sheriff, I'm, and uh, now I'm taking over for my brother. 
<laughs> so I only know vaguely what happened 25 years ago. Um, I was in a different part of the country, not very far away, but uh, I wasn't following all his cases, uh, Laura Palmer, uh-huh. for instance. But uh, David said that uh, I won't need any special awareness of what happened 25 years ago. And, uh, huh. and just uh, let it unfold. He said, uh, just let it unfold. And, and as the, uh, the, the pages came to me, and they were very parsimonious in their passing out of pages. Page, you may have talked to other actors. They didn't get many pages, and only a few at a time, and had to give them back. There is a hero of this, uh, Sabrina Sutherland, who kept the wraps tight on this script. You had to give her back your pages so that uh, she could file them and keep them. None of this got out, and she is the hero of that. <laughs> Robert, uh, I'd love to just kind of you know drill down into some of the great sequences that we've had with Frank Truman so far. And I think that it's fair to say one of the first scenes of this kind of new season that just seeing the reaction to it has been so wonderful. The scene where Frank walks outside and speaks to Wally Brando is one of my favorite things that has ever happened on television. Uh, can you kind of talk about kind of what's going on in that scene? I feel like obviously, you know, working with Michael Sarah, he's playing such a figure in that moment and just some of Frank's reactions I found were just so so kind of wonderful you know uh, what was it like kind of uh, you know working on that sequence which of course is is so early in our kind of understanding of who Frank is well uh, you know that gives us uh, some of Frank's it sort of tells us a bit about Frank but the key to that scene was Michael Sarah. he was a brilliant actor and just listening to him and the dialogue, the uh, his description of where he's been, and um, and your dharma, and my dharma, and uh, I, I can only tell you that he was a joy to work with, and uh, and he didn't take a lot of takes. Um, he just uh, stepped into that role, put on that hat, tipped the hat to one side, sat against his bike, and uh, told us that story, and it wasn't hard to react to. Uh, he was the uh, brilliant part of that scene. I almost got the sense from that scene that the way that Michael plays it, I can't tell if he believes every word he's saying or if he is just pulling everyone's leg and he thinks that he's got everyone fooled, with the exception of maybe Frank. I got the sense that maybe there had been some history between them, like, I really didn't know how to read that scene. Do you think that Frank buys the whole Marlon Brando thing in Wally? You know, uh, as a sheriff, and I'm not a sheriff, there's a lot of types around. And uh, this guy's been gone. He's been on his cycle. uh, His parents haven't seen him for a long time. So I think there's no reason not to buy that he's been out there um, adventuring and uh, and living his life and uh, doing it in a free form of some sort. So when he tells me all those things, although uh, they're a little, uh, they're head shakers, okay. <laughs> and I, yes, I consider it one of the fun sequences in this picture so far. Well, that sequence also kind of illustrates just how important I think a character like Frank plays Um, in this show, kind of similar to the role that Harry played 
in the original show, this sort of grounding influence, this sort of representative of us. Like, how do you take in the weirdness of Twin Peaks and your responses to Wally, your grace for Wally, too, like, really kind of signals to us how to sort of feel about Twin Peaks. So I really loved your reactions to, to, to Wally. They were very grounding, I thought. Well, we want girl. Yeah, listen, uh, Wally is uh, is a character, and uh, as I say, uh, the sheriff and sheriffs everywhere are are grounded guys. Uh, they see a lot, and uh, they've got to handle things with uh, equanimity. And uh, Wally uh, comes uh, comes one night, and uh, that's just one little moment of the sheriff's life. <laughs> well, well, speaking with dealing with a sort of extreme character with equanimity, um, Frank's relationship with Doris, his wife, uh, seems to be rather fraught right now, and, uh, and, and she's kind of in an extreme place in her life. And that first scene that we saw between them, you know, we're just kind of like experiencing this kind of like unhinged personality, and Frank is just enduring it. But in the follow-up scene, we get some great contextual information that really puts a real poignant spin on that. Can you talk a little bit about Frank and Doris and how you played those scenes with her? Well, Doris is, uh, is a mom who, uh, whose son has been killed. And uh, I'm sure she hasn't finished with the, uh, with the emotional hurt of it all. And, uh, and she protects her father and, and uh, as I say, uh, Sheriff Truman. Sheriff that I play, Truman, uh, treats it as uh, as it must be, uh, with uh, with quiet and, and uh, resolve, and uh, and gives her the best of it. She's uh, she's having a hard time, so we don't give her a harder time. We accept her and and hope that uh, you know she's going to be fine. And I hope that I can get her father's car fixed. That's uh, that's the, uh, the issue at hand. <laughs> you got to get on that. You know, uh, Robert, one of the things I, I love so much about those scenes we've gotten so far, you know, between you and, and between Candy Clark as, as the Trumans is, you know, you become very aware as you learn about what happened to their son and this loss they've suffered, how, as you were saying, they are both kind of reacting to that loss. And with with Frank Truman, I you know, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of just, you know, the way in which in a film like, say, The Wild Bunch, you know, somebody like 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 Robert Ryan or William Holden, the sort of the sort of emotions on the inside and how you know, you don't quite see them on the outside uh, quite as much. I mean, do you kind of feel like, is Harry still kind of carrying that hurt, that loss with him? Like, what has kind of been his sort of, you know, his way of kind of dealing with that sort of, you know, hugely traumatic loss? Well, sure, you don't ever, uh, you don't ever get over a lot of things, but you, uh, you've got to override that with the needs of the moment and uh, the needs of a, of a county sheriff uh, are, um, Simple but um, but real. Uh, got to handle this. Got to handle that. Uh, all the things that are necessary in a day's work. And uh, when uh, mom comes in hollering about the car, uh, that's part of it too. So I- I'd say that uh, David gave me one of the great characters, uh, as you say, a very grounded guy. And uh, I am mighty delighted to be playing this character. It's uh, easy as can be for me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a father over 200 years, if you count up the ages of my children. And uh, so uh, I've seen a lot of things uh, that, you know, a dad sees. 
doesn't give you the experiences of a sheriff, but, uh, you know, you got to be a sheriff at home sometimes. Hey, girls, uh, what are you, you're 15, and what's all that makeup? And, uh, hey, how about the car? Are you guys going to come home at the right time? And, uh, you know, all the things you got to do as a parent, uh, those are uh, exaggerated things uh, that you have to do as, uh, as a sheriff, uh, as a grounded guy. And, uh, as I say, David gave me a great, great character. You're listening to a Twin Peaks podcast with Jeff Jensen and Darren Franich. Quick pause because I have a question for all of our listeners out there. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Look, it's hard to find good talent, whether you're looking for a new sheriff's deputy or you're looking for a glowing orb of goodness to send to Earth to fix evil. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. It hunts them down for you. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. 24 hours? That's like barely even the length of this season of Twin Peaks. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today. Why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Twin Peaks. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Twin Peaks. One last time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Twin Peaks. There was a truly wonderful scene uh, with Frank in the episode two weeks ago where, you know, we, we, we kind of saw one side of a phone call with his brother, with Harry. And, you know, just the, you know, that scene playing out entirely the side that we saw that it felt like so much was being communicated. I mean, I, I'd be intrigued to know in, in a sequence like that where, you know, your, your scene partner isn't really there. And so you're kind of carrying both the sort of drama load and the exposition load. What was it like kind of working on that? It, it's clear that, you know, in that moment, Frank received bad news, and it felt like the way that that was communicated to us was really kind of subtle and, and, and very interesting. I must admit that that little scene is probably one of the, the little tiny gems of my career. You know, everything that you do as an actor is reduced to a shot. You don't go and shoot a movie. You shoot one shot after another. And that particular shot, was written uh, oh half an hour before we did it. Uh, I saw David over there, and he said to me, he said, I'm, gonna, I'm writing something, and I'm going to give it to you in a minute. Maybe, uh, maybe Sabrina said it. But eventually I got this scene. It was just written. Uh, it had been typed. Somebody typed it. But uh, he handed it to me, and it was uh, just, that, just exactly what was, what was said. And, um, and it was a uh, little conversation with my brother. I try to reach him at the hospital. They uh, transfer me. I finally reach him. I start to tell him something. He tells me some really bad news. I ask him uh, to uh, eventually, I say, I want you to beat this thing. We shot it once. It was a, uh, a scene that I had, hadn't seen prior to the moment that I, uh, almost the moment that I shot it. I had maybe 20 minutes to work on it. But... Um, but it's, uh, I consider it a small gem in my career, something that, uh, that I said, God, I love doing that shot. I prepared it. 
I sat there quietly while the other actors were working. He set up the shot. I sat down into the shot. He shot it once, and uh, and that was it. And um, and I, you know, simple. It's a it's a day's worth of making shots, and this was one of the best shots I ever uh, I, that I enjoyed working on. Simple, quick, and uh, David Lynch is uh, one of those guys who knows a good take when he sees it and is not afraid to say cut print and move on so it was perfect in every detail i got it quick i learned it quick we shot it quick and it was uh touching bravo robert i mean like that was really a gem like uh, we were both moved by it we talked a lot about it and that was a great moment i'd love to know from you do you need any help with that scene in terms of, do you need someone on the other end of the line kind of saying lines that we'll never hear, or, or do you just imagine that conversation in your head? I do imagine the conversation in my head. I imagine my brother speaking. I imagine the, the operator speaking. Um, and uh, you've you got to imagine what the other person said and what they're responding each step of the way. Uh, so, you know, it's an acting job. It's a job where the actor says, you know, who am I talking to and uh, what do they mean and uh, how can I respond honestly? And that's, you know, that's what the actor does on a daily basis. You say, how can I be honest? Yeah. Um, and with that said, there was another great conversation and another equally tender moment um, with an actual scene partner, the, the, the scene between uh, Frank and Dr. Hayward. Uh, did you act that scene like in the moment with with Warren Frost over Skype? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Uh, I think that that was done off camera by by our script supervisor, if I remember correctly. But did you notice the um, the way in which the computer rose up out of the desk? <laughs> that was the biggest smile for me. He uh, David said. Um, Take that handle and, and, and turn it, uh, turn it uh, 90 degrees, uh, lift it 90 degrees. I did, and up comes the, uh, the computer. Uh, so I, all I can say is that that was the most fun piece of that scene. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, the scene with the, uh, with the doctor, um, you know, I catch him uh, fishing. And, uh, and after we get the business done, you know, we have a little more kind of northwest uh, talk. Uh, you know, hope you're fishing on the sunny side of the stream, Doc, and uh, we'll talk to you later. And uh, you know, pleasantries. It was a lovely scene. I liked it. Uh, some part business, part pleasantry, and we know that Doc and uh, and Sheriff Truman are uh, old acquaintances. What do you think of that computer screen? Do you think that was a Frank innovation when he took over the the department, or do you think Harry had that installed? Oh, no, that was Harry. That was Harry's, uh, you know, I just showed up, and uh, it was there. That moment uh, when the screen emerged, Robert, is really one of my favorite moments from, from the show. And, and so, so, so I just want to clarify, you didn't know that that, that was going to happen? Like, they just kind of sat you down there and said, turn this thing? <laughs> well, yes. Now, after you shoot it once, you know it's, uh, you know it's there. And, and, and there's, you know, technically, uh, it's got to be, uh, it's got to work right. So... I knew about it before, but when we did the rehearsal is when I uh, is when the big smile came because I said, "Look at that! What a what a way to do it! It's a David thing. David is a craftsman, as you know. 
uh, in addition to being an artist, he uh, he makes furniture, he makes lamps, he makes he uh, and that was his invention. He said to himself, no doubt, and I didn't talk to him about it, but he said, no doubt. I think I'd like to have this. You know, it uh, reminds me of uh, some something uh, new that you might have seen uh, in an old movie when 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 technology was uh, gaining strength in America and when the automation came along and you pushed a button and suddenly this came up and so probably he said uh, I think I'll have that and and he and he did it uh, so David is, uh, can do whatever he wants it's his world and he creates whatever he wants this guy is a legitimate artist so we are all delighted uh, I can tell you that anybody who worked on this thing uh, was extremely delighted to be honest you know, Robert, I interviewed David Lynch the day after the premiere of the show, and he told me that while everyone else was watching this thing on TV, he was in his wood shop at work building himself a table that had all these kinds of secret compartments, not unlike the desk that Frank works at. So, uh, yeah, I could totally believe uh, David Lynch, the craftsman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's David's world. Robert, it's so interesting kind of hearing about, you know, you sort of mentioned that, you know, that, that wonderful scene with Harry on the, on the other end of the line, that was sort of a page you received that day. And, and, you know, the kind of wonderful surprise of sitting at that desk. I mean, how often did that happen over the course of, of filming Twin Peaks, of working with David Lynch, that, y- you know, you sort of arrive that day and there's a new scene or there's a new page? Like, was that kind of part of the process of, of sort of working on this, kind of showing up and not quite knowing what you were going to get that day? Um, some days... Uh, I can tell you one thing that was just, um, God, what word can I use? Not just amazing, but uh, enchanting. If you've never been in a great northwest forest and you're looking for something to do as a family or as an individual, I'd go up there and just experience the grandeur uh, of being in a, an old forest. You can't even touch the floor of the forest. It's filled with the levels of uh, of leaf fallings and moss and uh, and little little streams underneath your feet going uh, you know in a lot of directions. Unbelievable to be in such a beautiful place and should be experienced. Uh, it's uh, I thought that when I went to uh, Vancouver and went to Stanley Park and I and I visited their uh, their Stanley Park, which is old growth of big trees. I thought, wow, I've never been in a place this good. And when I went to up to Seattle to work on Twin Peaks, that forest is really, really the, the real McCoy. Old growth forest. Everybody ought to visit just to, uh, just to feel that. So on certain days, uh, we, uh, we felt grandeur. Difficult to express otherwise, but it was enchanting and grandeur. There's probably other good words to uh, to express it, but it's amazing. Throughout your career, Robert, you've worked with like you know some pretty amazing directors that are known for um, just really pushing the medium, being um, true artists that kind of work both sometimes in the mainstream, but sometimes uh, oftentimes outside of that iconic classic visionaries that really kind of push things forward. Quentin Tarantino with Jackie Brown, but before that, Haskell, Haskell Wexler with Medium Cool, like two essential films. I'd love to know kind of like from, from your point of view, 
do these directors like Wexler, Tarantino, Lynch, do, do they have something in common that makes them so such distinctive artists in your experience? Well, they're very, uh, the, the, who you've mentioned, and John Houston and uh, Robert Mulligan, these are real confident guys. You get on a set with them, and they know what they want. They know what they're doing, and, they're, and they, uh, they do it one shot at a time, uh, as always. Uh, but they have the great confidence to know, and, and uh, there are others. Uh, I work with a, a young British guy, he's not, young, not as young anymore, but Paul Chark. And I remember thinking on the very first shot of the very first day, saying to myself, that is my test of a director. If he knows a great take when he sees it or she. And, um, and, and uh, confidence on the set, knowing what they want and uh, being simple. Uh, because uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, there wasn't a, a shot in the, in the picture that was... Uh, that was uh, impossible or difficult or, 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 or unusual. He just did great shots and coupled them together and made a great movie. Uh, and so do all of these directors. Um, the ones that I've worked with that I have great confidence in are, uh, were confident themselves. Robert, obviously, you know, especially coming off the uh, parts of Twin Peaks that we've just seen, it's fair to say that, you know, on this podcast, Jeff and I will sometimes try to theorize about where things are going, and we're always completely and wonderfully wrong. I would just love to know, I mean, uh, you know, without necessarily getting into any any plot descriptions, what can we expect from Frank in the future? I mean, it's it's clear that, like, in Part 7, Frank really began to investigate things in in a very interesting way. Is there anything that we can kind of expect to see in, a, in, in the vaguest way that you'd like to describe what's what's next for Frank on this show well I, I am hoping now look I watch every week to see whether and what I remember shooting you know there's things you shoot that you can't remember even it, it, as I say and I don't have the script I, I was take you can't even go back and ask yourself what led to this and what led to that I saw shots that I said forgotten making so I'm not real sure of what I Remember that I shot. I know that uh, that I am uh, a grounded, as you have said, and, and as I knew when I was shooting it, a grounded character. Uh, and so I expect uh, Frank to continue to uh, ask questions and wonder and be part of the um, the mystery that's unfolding with uh, Agent Cooper. So um, I can only assume that I will continue to be part of and uh, and hopefully. Uh, Help explain and be useful to an audience. That's what the actor hopes. He hopes that he can deliver to an audience uh, and to the whole. It is interesting not knowing what you are there to do precisely. But as I said to somebody one time, and it seemed to make sense to them, the color red does not need to know why he is on the painter's brush. He needs to deliver red when the painter uses him. And that's pretty much my theory on uh, what I'm doing there. I am delivering the color, and David, only David Lynch, and a couple others around him know what I am there to do. One last question for you. Where would you put the Twin Peaks filmmaking experience um, in the context of your career to date? I mean, is it one of the favorite things that you've done? Like, uh, where, where would you rank it? I rank it tied with uh, two or three other really good things in my career but tied at the top, and a great project, and I will be delighted to see its progression. 
Well, we can't wait to see where it goes from here and uh, really admiring your performance and your work on the show. And I continue to hope for great things from Frank and, and for you, too. So thank you for taking the time. You bet. I thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to be watching as you see what happens next. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye. And that was the great Robert Forster talking about the great Sheriff Frank Truman. We are so excited about all to come. We've still got 10 episodes left in this season of Twin Peaks. Definitely check back, not this Monday, but the next Monday when we'll be back to talk all about Twin Peaks Part 9. Meanwhile, if you have ideas about what's going on, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us. He's at EW Doc Jensen. I'm at Darren Franich, not a doctor. You can email us. Twin Peaks at EW.com. We'd love to, for you to send long emails to us. We love long, intensive thoughts about Twin Peaks. You know what else we love? If you like this show, if you've enjoyed listening to us ramble on about David Lynch and Mark Frost and the wild world of Twin Peaks, why don't you go on iTunes, give us a rate, give us a review, let us know what you think. And uh, everyone, once again, happy 4th of July and 5th of July and every other day until we once again are here talking about Twin Peaks on this show.